Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. This is the Real Estate Podcast, the intersection between the latest trends in real estate and its impact on our everyday lives. We're your hosts, Alex Norman. And Jamie Blonde, and you've come to the right location. The real estate starts now. In today's episode, Dangerous Locations, we explore the intersection between real estate and on-location movie and TV filming. This episode's format will be a riff on the realities of filming on location and how dangerous that can be. Alex, take us out. When I go back and I think about the, origin, the origins of locations and filming, I think back to the first days of studios. Uh, and I believe the first studio uh, was created back in the late 1800s by Thomas Edison. And I think the, the reason why studios were studios was because of the, the fragile medium of film. And they needed to be protected in a controlled environment. So a lot of the filming was done indoors. Yeah. And, uh, and in those days, they were silent films. So it didn't even really matter what kind of noise was going on outside of where you were recording because you weren't recording any sound. You were adding on a soundtrack later, usually music, and just writing the words of the dialogue on the, on the screen. And it was only when the sound came on that the whole controlled environment became a real thing, right? Because you had to make sure everything, there was no noise while you were filming. Um, you had to make sure the weather was good. You know, if it was going to rain on the street, how do you control the street? So you had all these enormous footprints, which all, I guess, moved out to California because the weather was so reliable. <laughs> and then you've got not only California because of the weather, but also California because of the space. I mean, you, you think about all of that space that's needed to recreate a city. And I remember when, you know, as a kid being so fascinated by these studios, they'd build streets and blocks and, and towers where actors would walk and, and there would be streets like New York. I mean, I think to this day, there's still a few, um, you know, a few streets and famous streets like, Sesame Street. I think there's a block in New York, I think from the Seinfeld that's still in one of the studios. I mean, it's crazy. Yeah, I can remember taking the studio tour. I think it was Paramount Studios and they they showed you how they recreated uh, the the parting of the seas for, 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 for Moses. Uh, in the Ten Commandments, and they showed these streets, the with just a facade of a building in the front, and it was like the New York Street or the L.A. Street or the or the Western Street. You turn a corner, and it was all a Western, and all the, the it was all full fronts. There was nothing behind the buildings, but it just you could recreate anything, and and you could make it rain, and you could make it night, you could make it day. It was amazing. Well, let me ask you a question. When when the when Moses parted the seas, did they actually did that actually happen? How did they do that? They 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 uh, they had uh, a tram that went under uh, underneath uh, uh, the street, and both sides of the street fell away and sank. And you had water just going down the side, and it made it by playing it in reverse. It looked like the water was being held up instead of falling over the sides. So they just played the water in reverse, and that's how they created the trick. Wow, um, that's pretty. That's amazing. You know, I think about locations uh, and filmmaking, I just can't help but think about all of the famous and amazing places uh, in film history. And obviously, of my generation, uh, I've had a few 
sort of amazing experiences with films like James Bond, right? Where you know one of the big things about Bond films was that it was shot in these sort of amazing places around the world. And so I felt like, oh, wow, you know, I feel like I'm in Venice all of a sudden in the, on the set of Moonraker or um, in Brazil in Moonraker or in space <laughs> in Moonraker. And so in some ways, the location made the movie. Yeah, that was the, that was the whole glamour. I mean, all these movies uh, being filming on location where you got a chance to see most Americans up until a few years ago, only 5% of Americans had a passport. Nobody traveled. And this was your chance to see the world uh, in, in an enjoyable setting and an enjoyable activity, which is watching a story unfold. And I agree with you that, that the major draw for a lot of those movies was to see people walking the streets of Rio or see people standing on the Eiffel Tower, you know, and, and, and a lot of it was fake, but some of the movies, like you say, as they got more glamorous, like the James Bond movies, the cachet was that you really were filming in those places. And I think also it became uh, advantageous to film outside of, of Los Angeles for certain cases where whether you were using Toronto to make it look like New York to make it cheaper or going to Tunisia to film instead of filming uh, in the American desert because all the, you know, the stand-ins and the thousand background people were all very inexpensive and it was cheaper to build a town out of nothing than it was to try to film. So location became not only glamorous, but also became a cost-cutting mechanism. Yeah, that's actually a great point. But I also think that like, places like in Brazil or even New York, like, like some of those locations were made to look a lot better than they actually do in real life. I'm not quite sure when was the last time you were on the streets of Rio in Copacabana, but trust me, they don't, they don't look as good in real life as they do in the movies. Yeah, that it always looks much more glamorous, and uh, and of course they'll 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 shoot from different angles, and it can be two completely different places, and it makes it look like this mountain is so gorgeous, and they filmed it by shooting in three separate mountains, you know, like where they shot the Dolomites for a cliffhanger with Sylvester Stallone, and it's supposed to be the Rocky Mountains, but the reason the mountains look so glorious is because it's those old world mountains, and not the weathered and rounded and um, uh, less dramatic tops of the mountains we have in North America. So yeah, they make it look much better than it really is sometimes. But and then we, that's, they also make the actors look much better than they really look. So what's the difference? <laughs> yeah, it's funny because I feel like uh, over the years, film has changed, right? I think, you, you know, back in, I don't know, 30, 40 years ago, uh, an action film back then is a lot different than an action film today. And, and thus the locations have different meaning. For example, uh, you know, 30 years ago, an action film would probably be a Western, right? And, and they were shot, you know, the spaghetti Westerns, they were shot in, in, in some place that looked like the old West with some horses and some guns and you got yourself a film. I think today action is trains, planes, automobiles, flying off of stuff, jumping on uh, onto stuff, uh, blowing up. And, and when you put these on locations, it creates a lot of, uh, of havoc for both the actors uh, and the cast and crew. Yes, and that's as, as the locations got more exotic and as the stunts, for example, in the James Bond movies had to surpass the prior one over and over and over again is when we got into the situation, which is one of the things we want to be talking about, which is how these on-location movie sets can become dangerous in a variety of ways for both the crew and the actors and the producers and directors, et cetera. Well, let's talk about that. I mean, I think that there are some... 
very famous situations where um, things can can go terribly wrong uh, on a set that either is meant to be um, meant to be dangerous uh, or a set that's just meant to be a normal set. Things just things just go sideways. Yeah, and I, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't start by just mentioning the, the the horrible situation on the Rust movie set where Alec Baldwin's gun went off during a rehearsal and uh, and the cinematographer was killed, an up-and-coming cinematographer, uh, uh, Helena Hutchins. And, uh, right. and that just goes to show you that you cannot take your eye off the ball for a minute because you never know when a dangerous situation can happen. So this is not the first time, right? That something something went terribly wrong uh, on the set of a of a of a film, right? I mean, if you look at through history, I was surprised to see uh, when I started looking at uh, online just to see all of the the things that have happened over decades. Uh, even you know some of my favorite films, for example, uh, Back to the Future, uh, Michael J. Fox. Uh, I think it was Back to the Future Three, almost hung himself in that scene where Mad Dog or uh, uh, Tannen, I think it was, uh, hung Matthew J. Fox, his character, uh, up um, by a noose by the, the by the old clock tower. And he actually was hanging. And it wasn't, it wasn't until a um, one of one of the extras saw that 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 Michael J. Fox was actually choking and being asphyxiated um, before he got saved. But that was like a simple situation like that that was overlooked could have been tragic. Absolutely. I mean, um, with the whole Baldwin scenario, people are talking about the Brandon Lee uh, death on the crow and Jan Eric Hexum, who was fooling around with a prop gun and killed himself by mistake uh, on a TV show, an up and coming 24 year old actor. Um, but you just like you say, you just don't realize how many movies where the stuntmen who really are the ones who take the risk who theoretically are getting paid to take the risk to do the riskier things, how they, they can pay with their lives. I mean, Predator, Triple X, Top Gun, Deadpool, the right stuff. You can just go over and over and over, Deadpool 2, over and over with of movies where you don't even realize that somebody gave their life during that movie trying to create a tremendous stunt that you're seeing, you know, for the first time ever be performed on film. What kind of insurance uh, coverage we're talking about here for that? Yeah, it's got to be very expensive, and I imagine um, that hopefully they don't get the, they don't have to pay out too often. But um, they'll just listen. Once you're on location, there's a million things that can go wrong, right? I mean, uh, apocalypse now. They got hit by a monsoon, you know, after the sets were all made up, and Martin Sheen had a heart attack during the set during the filming. Yeah, you know, um, Humphrey Bogart and Catherine Hepburn were an African queen that was directed by John Huston, and everybody got uh, dysentery and food poisoning on, on set. They were filming in Africa, except for, I think, Humphrey Bogart and John Huston, who were only eating canned beans and McDonald's flown in or something like that. <laughs> they never ate any of the local food, so they never got sick. But, you, you, you know, there's all kinds of ways, whether it's weather, whether it's food, whether it's uh, poisons, whether it's guns, whether it's explosions. I mean, there's real danger. I mean, you know, and, and CGI has come a long way, but most of these movies, the directors, a lot of directors who you love, um, uh, they want to show, they want to be as close to real life as possible. So they want the real stunt to happen. 
And yeah, that's you know, dangerous. You know, and so one of my favorite directors, you pointed out, because Christopher Nolan, and he he speaks out a lot about that, but wanting to, um, to do less CGI, less green screen, more more live action. Um, you know, I think you know a lot of it. Uh, you know, is is comes through in the in the film, like the Dark Knight and all that, and the whole trilogy felt really real, and and it was a lot of weight and, and heaviness to a lot of the stunts, um, and then ultimately putting actors in dangerous situations brings out some of that anxiety and tension that you you feel as a as a you know as an audience watching these movies. So in some aspects, I even feel like they're. Like there might, why aren't there more <laughs> incidents, right? Almost because films have gotten more complicated. Um, the stunts have to be better and bigger and louder than the previous movies. So they're going to more extremes, making situations more dangerous, more exciting for audience members, but more dangerous for everyone else involved. And so I'm surprised more stuff doesn't happen. We're not hearing about more things that are going on set when, when you know, when things go sideways. Yeah, I, I agree. And and I don't think I would imagine the movie making or TV making isn't any more dangerous in other industries or other industries, construction, there, there are accidents that happen all the time. And you know, people people die, unfortunately, in, in other industries and in shipbuilding and in the oil industry, um, you know, accidents do happen. Um, but I think at least we've I, certainly in this country, I think with safety is a very, very strong priority. Um, there are a lot of union rules now and uh, and uh, to make sure that things are as safe as possible on the set. I guess there's always going to be a risk when you're blowing things up <laughs> with a person standing. I on mean, it. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, I've been, and it I does was, look great. Don't get me wrong. I love seeing it. So, I mean, it's one of those things, right, where you you realism or reality and fantasy kind of kind of intersect. Right. And you, you sort of, you know, I know that there was one point in time where blanks were used but they the sounds of the gunshot had to be amplified because a real gunshot didn't sound as good as a fake gunshot on camera on film and so there were a lot explosions had to be bigger than explosions that actually happen in real life for certain things so there's a sometimes we don't accept reality or, or the action of reality um, because it's not big enough and not loud enough and not exciting enough. And so we create these, these fantastic props and fantastic situations of which become even more dangerous because we're making the explosion a lot bigger with the car crash. It cars will never flip over a thousand times on the street, but it has to, because it's, because a film wouldn't be a film without it flipping over a hundred times. And you have to create these scenarios that, that are unrealistic, but, but also extraordinarily dangerous for everyone. So I, I feel like we, um, in some ways, as an audience and as a society, are asking uh, the filmmakers for more danger. Yeah, I think uh, the audience definitely raises the bar and every generation, subsequent generation wants to think, see things that look more realistic and less fake. You go back, you look at some of these old movies, you look at the special effects and it's almost laughable compared to what they can do now, right? Now they can recreate a whole thing like you're not even sitting in the train when the train blows up. It's all CGI and everything. Um, and yeah, I guess, I guess, you know, we demand bigger, more dangerous, just like we demand bigger, bigger, 
better foods and bigger cars and faster trains and um, but it, it doesn't even have to be a big thing like a gun or an explosion that can that can cause havoc on a set i mean in that django unchained when dicaprio is slamming his hand down and they're at, at the dinner table and he broke a glass and he cut his hand and you can see the blood in this in the scene they kept the scene in because you know such a great actor that he is he just stayed in character and continued the scene and didn't let that affect him he was so caught up in in acting out the scene what, was that, um, wasn't that also in that movie um a 40 year old virgin where he had to well it, it almost took the nipple off with the <laughs> exactly. they really they really waxed his chest and almost took the nipple off i mean it's talk about giving to your craft that's what brings a whole new meaning to from giving to your craft and i um, and i was like speaking and i had mentioned earlier about the car flipping over a hundred times and actually is a real a real story when i was in advertising um a, a number of years ago uh for an automotive company which they were using one particular vehicle in a movie and there was an issue because the car didn't skid and, you know, the scene required the car to skid and it's because there's like automatic braking, you know, the technology that prevents the car from skidding um, didn't make good filmmaking. And they had to disengage the anti-lock brakes and whatever um, in order to get the car to skid. And I, I think, you know, it's sort of like, well, we've we've come so far in society to keep people safe that we want to show a movie where the cars are unsafe. And what that what that does, I mean, people going out and say, well, you know, do I want to buy, um, you know, uh, this car now? See <laughs> the movie get crashed and blow up? Like what? Like what? What goes through someone's head when they see reality on film, which is no longer reality, but yet, yeah, and you know, like what's that got to be like? I remember when uh, a friend of mine saw um, Smoking the Bandit with Burt Reynolds. And we came out of the movie and we were driving around in my dad's little Honda Civic, which first of all is front rear drive, not rear wheel drive. And if you're going to try to do these spin around moves, they're all doing it on the, on the screen with rear, rear wheel drive. And here I am, we're in a supermarket parking lot trying to spin my dad's Honda Civic. He doesn't, he never heard this story, but trying to spin my dad's Honda Civic into a 360 coming off the movie. We're lucky we didn't flip the frigging car over like idiots because we wanted to do what they, what we saw them doing. That was so cool. He probably, probably the next day is like, why, why is this car feel? feel What's that smell of burnt rubber all over the car? <laughs> well, don't look, know. Don't know, Dad. Don't know. Well, <laughs> well, you know, look, I mean, I think that um, when it gets, comes to, to filmmaking, it, it, it's real risky business. And I remember uh, the movie The Martian uh, with, um, uh, with uh, Matt Damon, I believe. And it was a film that was set uh, in the future. For those that don't, don't know this movie, and um, it's about a movie about an astronaut becoming separated from the rest of his crew on Mars in a dust storm and presumed dead. And they left him and they, they come back to save him. And that movie, from what I recall, was filmed in Jordan. And you know, talk about dangerous locations. Um, of course, uh, you and I uh, went to Jordan a uh, number of years ago. And, um, and when we talk about dangerous locations, I mean, we almost got shot. I think <laughs> over over a glass of fresh orange juice, which I refuse to pay more than five dollars for. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so you know, anything is is possible. You know, and I think one of the amazing things about that location in in Petra, Jordan, was the fact that 
a bunch of movies were filmed there, right? There was Raiders of the Lost Ark was filmed there. And as a matter of fact, when, when I, when we were there, they were playing, if you recall, they were playing the soundtrack of the film at, in the middle of the desert, essentially. And so the film made that location dangerous. So if you have, um, you know, the, the, the free time to go to Jordan, uh, you, you could, you could, you could relive, you could relive your, your childhood. The, the funny thing about that is if you notice in Indiana Jones and the last crusade, it looks like they go into that doorway in Petra, but the truth is there is no doorway. It's just, uh, basically carved into the wall. There's nothing behind it. And there's the magic of movie making. Everything that happens inside that mountain is actually on set somewhere, well controlled. Um, but you got a chance to go and see and pretend you were in the same location as the movie. Yeah. And, uh, and it was a dangerous location. <laughs> I was, I've always been fascinated with uh, locations that are just slightly outside of reality, which basically things like, you know, you know, in the middle of the ocean, underwater, um, not necessarily in space, but like high altitude. So the movies like um, The Abyss for underwater movies like Top Gun, where people are flying around in jets um, and films like, um, um, you know, uh, um, uh, films like Jaws that are out in the middle of the ocean. And, you know, in really tense situations, and I, when I think about Jaws, I know that um, I did read that Stan Spielberg, one of the one of the things that he really wanted to do was make sure that that the film was actually shot uh, in the ocean and uh, the Atlantic Ocean. So you have this feeling of um, of, of fear and lack of control that was really a part of the movie. Yeah, I, I remember seeing that at a drive in and my dad's friends were also there. Yeah, a drive in in Miami. And uh, I must have been about 15 or 16 or 14 or something like that. And the other couple, they had a kid who was about five in their back seat. And at the end of the movie, the kid pops his head up and goes, scary movie, eh? I can't imagine how that five-year-old ever went back into the ocean after seeing Jaws at night at a drive-in well, you know, in like, Miami. I, you know, I always, I always joke with people. I'm like, you know, you know, it, it just, it, it takes uh, two white people in the beginning of the movie to go out swimming at night uh, in, order to, in order to get, in order to, in order to get a horror film started. I know, look, I think there's a lot of things that prevented me from going in the water. Um, a, a great white shark being, being definitely being one of them. But you know, look, I, I, I'm just afraid of the water. Period. Like I don't go anywhere in any body of water after dark. Yeah, I don't like being anywhere where I can't see what's what I'm surrounded by. And it's bad enough in the water, at least here in the water in Florida and the Caribbean, you can see through the water. If when that, if that water was murky and I can't see what's underneath in there. I mean, let's face it. It's not like the sharks are coming up on land and biting us in our cars. We're in their house. We're going into where they live. And then we're upset when they're nibbling at our heels. You know? What was that? What was that Saturday Night Live skit with the the land shark? Land shark, <laughs> candy ramp, <laughs> flowers. <laughs> you know, look, I, I think I think that um, at the end of the day, I mean, we've got to really come to terms with with the realities of filmmaking, right? I think that you know maybe in the future, which the future is now, but but yet we st it's almost. As you pointed out, with the situation with um, you know, the, unfortunately, the tragedy that just occurred, people 
uh, are using real real um, weapons and they're using live rounds. I have no idea why they're doing that. They don't need to. But I think that in the future, as we start getting into things like the metaverse, um, you know, film CGI and technology is going to be more part uh, of our of our reality and replacing the things that we normally would see with CGI is going to become an everyday occurrence may actually happen um, a lot faster than we think in more places. Yes. And once they can do it well enough that it looks so realistic that you can't really tell the difference, it's going to remove the necessity to do the very dangerous live stunt or to use uh, live ammunition, which again, I have no idea why they'd ever have live ammunition on a set, but um now that they can recreate that muzzle fire with cgi you know they, because they were you know they're different because some of the some of the dummies they look better in the gun they don't have it they look like they have a projectile but they don't have the gunpowder versus the blank which has the gunpowder so it makes a firing sound and a flash on the muzzle but doesn't have a projectile they can kind of get rid of all that crap and just cgi what they want the gun to look like um, and get rid of all that. Yeah, and the same thing with, you know, stuntmen taking huge risks in terms of jumping off of cliffs or over waterfalls. Um, I don't know. I mean, do you think some people are still going to always want, some directors are going to want to do the stunt live? You're, they're going to yeah, want I, that I, danger. Yeah, no, I think so. I think, I think there's going to be a, a real interesting um, uh, debate over it, right? I mean, I think, you know, I think this most recent tragedy is going to raise the question of whether or not um, we should be doing more, using more technology, replacing real stunts and live stunts with um, with technology. And I think I think we've seen some of that. It, as you pointed out, it hasn't been really that good, um, but I think technology is getting better. But I, I, once again, I think that you know we're going to start seeing a, a, a very interesting um, debate you know, over the next couple of years, maybe even the next, you know, the course of the next decade, I'd like to say that you could be in your room and your the entire movie can be filmed in you know, a spaceship. You, you know, I, all these movies that are coming out nowadays with, with Netflix, they're all lower, relatively speaking, lower budget films that are shot in a single room. I remember um, Alfred Hitchcock and his uh, Room with a View. It was like, sort of back in those days, it was like, it was like amazing how you can create an entire two hour, whatever hour film in a, uh, you know, in a single location. So I think we're going to start seeing a very interesting trend unfold where people are taking a different look at locations and using technology in different ways in the future. Well, to, to your point about one room, one of my favorite films is 12 Angry Men with Henry Fonda. The whole movie takes place inside a jury room with the 12 jurors trying to hash out uh, innocence or guilt uh, in a case. And the whole thing happens in one room. But I do think with all this proliferation of streaming services and the demand for content, and the world keeps getting smaller as we can travel to more places easily, uh, less expensively, there is still going to be a demand to shoot on location and to bring some of these exotic places or made up places and bring them back uh, to the viewer. And I think as a result of that, um, on the one hand, there will be opportunities for the big budget places uh, to use CGI to make things safer. On the other hand, I do think there will continue to be a demand 
for people who want to see more and more places. They read about more places. Anthony Bourdain went and visited all these different places for different foods. And half of the show was where, where was he? And what, you know, so were, were there dangers of him traveling to some of these places or the type of food he was eating? Yes. But that was half of the, the exotic attraction was these middle of nowhere places on the other side of the world where we were seeing things and, and, and trying foods that we'd never heard were, were consumed before. And I think, we're always going to have that on location dynamic, but hopefully we can make it safer with technology. You know, I think that's a really good point, right? I mean, a lot of what we know about the known world has come from filmmakers filming those locations. I think even the places that we want to live, uh, you know, people have dreamed of living on the Upper West Side uh, because when Harry met Sally, they live on the Upper West Side. And but, you know, and they move there and thus people uh, uh, buy and, and there's a demand and it creates a really interesting real estate market. And today people are living in Montana because they want to get out of the city. But how they know what it's like to live in Montana if they if it wasn't for, you know, you name it, films that portray Montana and the rolling hills as a beautiful place. So and you make not- a great point, which is uh, the effect it can have on real estate and on a city where we're, I'm sitting right here, Miami, Miami beach was basically a quiet rundown neighborhood in the seventies. And then in the eighties, Miami vice came on TV and all of a sudden all the vibrant colors and the art deco were cool again. And it started a renaissance at Miami beach that is still going on to this day. Yeah. So in a lot of ways, shooting on location creates the demand for a location and thus what then creates demand for more shooting on that location (laughs) well then it's a vicious vicious circle location 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 yeah exactly (laughs) geez that's we should use that because that's a good real estate term we have to find a way to use it And the Chris called the 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 real estate the intersection of of real estate and and location (laughs) real original (laughs) So I think that for the most part, we've we've we, I, we talked a lot about how location, film location, both is 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 valuable and powerful. At the same time, has peril and challenges when it comes to safety uh, and the like. So I think if we can find a way to continue to make films on location and make them safe, the world will be just a better place. I agree 100%. And especially if they can hire me into as a role in the movie, (laughs) then we would know it's an even better movie. Plus you'd have all those great locations in a safe environment. How could you go wrong? So there you have it. A discussion about filming on location, the benefits and the risks, and how do we make the whole experience safer for the participant and exciting and rewarding for the viewer yeah i love that jamie and thank you this is a this is a great topic i think um we'll have many many more discussions about the future of filmmaking and location in weeks to come take care everybody see ya you've been listening to the real estate podcast Give us a quick review and rating on iTunes. Check out our website at therealstate.co and let us know if there are any new topics you'd like to hear us address. We love hearing your feedback. See you next week. Thank you for listening to Believe. 
You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.